0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who were subconsciously biased towards Aiden in Sex and the City because of my big fat Greek wedding. I'm Hannah Leach. I did not realize that the word unconscious and subconscious were
1: that close. I was like, damn. I didn't we're read going... the full sentence. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are
1: talking about 2002's My Big Fat Greek Wedding.
0: Playtone and Gold Circle Films cordially invite you. It's a mosquito bite. It's a zip. To the wedding of the year. She's a And the romantic comedy of the season. Mia Vardalos, John Corbett, Lainey Kazan, Michael
2: Constantine, Gia Carides, Andrea Martin, and Joey Fatone. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat.
1: What do you mean he don't eat no meat? That's okay. I make lamb.
0: My big fat Greek wedding. How are you, Audrey?
1: I'm well. Um, I've recently eaten some goldfish.
0: Ooh. Um,
1: oh, and you will appreciate this. For the first time ever, I have bought myself a full-size, um like, Cardboard container thing of cans of Diet Cokes,
0: full size. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's the first time ever that you've done that.
1: Yeah, I always buy those mini ones that are there's like there's like six and they're just small because I never want to carry. I never want to carry that all the way home, of course. But I was at um, Walgreens yesterday to pick up a prescription for my
0: infected wisdom tooth hole (laughs) (gasps) okay that's an escalation from last time we talked about that that's what happened
1: (laughs) um it's just there's granulation tissue (laughs) oh girl not granulation (laughs) Um, tissue but it will be gone like i just have antibiotics now (laughs) I was there getting that. And I thought to myself, what could be a better reward for being here <laughs> and doing this? So I Good have many Diet Cokes. For anyone who doesn't know, like <sighs> our mother and our parents in general probably instilled an addiction for Diet we're Coke. A diet,
0: we're a Diet Coke family. We're also like a Cherry Coke Zero type of family. yeah. Are you a fan of Cherry Coke Zero? I am.
1: I was, and then I got I got burnt out on it because that's like all they buy. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't do that. So I'll
0: do either just Diet Coke or Coke Zero. I always just get Diet Coke. Josh didn't like Diet Coke when we first started dating and then started living together, and I was like... That's you got to change, buddy. I know, but then slowly over time, he, like, came over to the side of being fine with Diet Coke. And now he'll drink it. So it's I don't know. It's good.
1: I mean, I get if somebody, only, if somebody really loves drinking, or not really loves, but, like, prefers yeah. drinking regular Coke, I get that they're not, like, the fan club president yeah. of Coke. But, like, I get that it tastes different. And probably Mm -hmm. a little chemically, yeah. but, you
0: know. Okay, anyway. It's not like regular (laughs) Coke tastes like it's straight from a fountain in a natural setting. Like, it's... No. Anyway, so now that we got that out of the way, we didn't even get to our hot take yet. Okay, this one comes from Anna Sunderman, who I see in our DMs and our likes all the time. Like, we know her. She asks, is manifesting all it's cracked up to be or is it glorified goal setting?
1: I think our audience in general would be very aware of this whole kind of culture of manifesting things for yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that it, I think, I mean, if we're just going to be really blunt, I think it is glorified goal setting. That That is the point. I think for the most part, usually it's good to manifest something that is within the realm of possibility. I'm thinking
0: about that statement.
1: (laughs) Like, 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 for example, like a bunch of my, like, if any of my friends or myself is like going for a job and you like are waiting to find out if you got it or not after Mm -hmm. the interview, like everyone will be like, ah, like I'm manifesting for you. Like I'm sending, I'm sending that energy your way. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But it's something that is in the realm of possibility. Like that, the chance of you getting it is concretely there. You're saying
0: that manifesting things that are possible is is valid? Well, I'm just saying I don't personally manifest things that aren't possible. <laughs> well, but is manifesting the act of attempting to manifest? or is it when it literally manifests? It's the
1: it's the energy that is put toward the thing happening before it actually
0: happens. Have I successfully manifested something? No. <laughs> but do I attempt to manifest? No. <laughs> but like, so. how is anyone manifesting anything in this era? Manifesting is glorified goal setting. To, to me, it's just like, it's like, okay, mm, this is, I'm not saying that astrology is fake, but it's kind of like, if you believe in it, it can shape your life. And I feel yeah. like it's manifesting is the same thing.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, more likely to happen. It's, like, if your mind is set at attention for something, it's, like, yeah. confirmation bias. Like, it's more likely to happen to you, and then you will be reinforced in that belief that you manifested something.
0: I'm wondering why Anna is asking this question. Has Is she surrounded by people that are, like, earnestly manifesting stupid shit all day long, and she's like, I need someone to shut down this manifestation concept? <laughs> like, I'm curious where this came from. So, Anna... Let us know why you're asking because I'm curious. Also, we're not spiritual experts. Like, I, I, there's a part of me that's like, I wonder if this is based in some sort of like cultural context that we don't know about. And in that case, throw everything I said away.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't actually know shit about formal manifestation.
0: About classically trained manifestation practices, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like I did not get a bachelor's
0: (laughs) anyway.
1: (laughs) Sorry, Anna.
0: Bad Greek wedding. Thank you for asking, Anna. We appreciate you.
1: When we decided we were going to do this movie. I thought it would be really fun to ask my friend from college, Artemis, to give us her thoughts and opinions on the movie because she is from Greece and she is very Greek and her whole family is. She's
0: very Greek.
1: We're not going to play her response until the second half, but I just wanted to intro the fact that that's going to happen. And she's yeah. going to tell us, you know, the discrepancies between true Greek Being a true Greek and then this Mm -hmm. movie's portrayal of being (laughs) Greek. A true Grecian. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to look into how this film came to be because it is Mm -hmm. interesting. The... Star of the film, Nia Vardalos, she wrote a one woman show about her Greek family. She was uh, a part of Second City in Chicago, and all of her friends always told her, like, oh, you should write something about your family because you're always telling these stories. And so she was like, okay, I'll do it. So she did. And then um, Rita Wilson, who is a Greek American, also an actress, also married to Tom Hanks, (laughs) um, saw Mm. it. And got Tom Hanks on board with it. Basically, she saw it and she was like, this needs to be a movie, like, mm-hmm. now. And Tom Hanks is also a really <laughs> prolific producer as well mm-hmm. as actor. And so they got on board with it. And whoever they were shopping it around to originally, like, studios, they wanted to make it Italian. And they wanted, like, Sandra Bullock to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um Which, that sounds like typical studio behavior, but Rita and Nia were like, nah, because that's not what this is. That defeats the purpose,
0: yeah. And
1: um, so, they ended up getting it independently financed for $5 million. Very Um, interesting. And they got Nia. Nia was able to be the main character, which is great, and... Mm. It worked out. It really worked out. Uh, And we'll really get into how it It truly worked out later. So My Big Fat Greek Wedding was released on April 19th, 2002. And it was rated PG. I've added the rating into this (laughs)
0: just for fun. Mm -hmm. I I think that's Um, a good idea.
1: Yeah. It was directed by Joel Zwick. And when I first looked at his IMDb, I was like, why is this so dry? And then because huh? in the in the known known for it's always movies. So then I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I scrolled down. It's just tons of TV shows, tons mm-hmm. of sitcoms, such as Casey Undercover, Girl Meets World, Fuller House, Dog with a Blog, Jesse, Shake It Up, Good Luck Charlie, Sweet Life on Deck, Family Matters, Laverne and Shirley. And he directed the Fat Albert movie. Wow. <laughs> so, It was produced by Gary Getzman, who produced Mamma Mia 1 and 2, The Polar Express, and Where the Wild Things Are. Um, (laughs) Clearly, Greece is important to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Mamma Mia 1 and 2. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, There could be a connection there. And then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, also, I think, executive produced. And... Mm, what is Tom Hanks known for? <laughs> Castaway, Big, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story. And he has produced at least 59 projects because wow. that's what was listed on his IMDb. Rita Wilson is known for Jingle All the Way, Sleepless in Seattle, and Runaway Bride. And her producing career consists almost solely of movies set in Greece or having to do with Greece (laughs) because she is a Greek American and so I think she just feels really seen and like wants things to be made about Mm -hmm. Greece and then it was written by Nia Vardalos who is the star as well and we'll talk about her more in the cast section
0: okay so now we have Logline Everyone in the Kalos family worries about Tula. Still unmarried at 30 years old, she works at Dancing Zorba's, the Greek restaurant owned by her parents, Gus and Maria. After taking a job at her aunt's travel agency, she falls in love with Ian Miller, a teacher who is tall, handsome, and definitely not Greek. Tula isn't sure which will be more upsetting to her father, that Ian is a foreigner or that he's a vegetarian. (laughs) And then the tagline is, Audrey.
1: Love is here to stay. So is her family.
0: (laughs) The only tagline.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's pretty good. So, cast. Nia Vardalos plays Tula. And, okay, her situation post this movie is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, She's done a lot of TV spots, but... Also, she's in this movie called "I Hate Valentine's Day" with almost entirely the same cast as "My Big Fat Greek Wedding." Um, like John Corbett um, plays her love interest again, but they're playing different characters, what? and like it's just like very similar. Um, It rings to me of like these people had this unbelievable whirlwind experience with their Mm -hmm. first film together and then they've just were like bonded and they were like they didn't want to make things with other people. And so that's kind of what I get from it. Um, Mm -hmm. There was also a failed my fat, my big fat (laughs) Greek wedding, my fat. (laughs) um tv show called my big fat greek life and it's a sitcom and i watched like a minute of it and it was really bad (laughs) is it the same cast yeah dang what's so bad about it i mean i watched like a minute of it i I, it got canceled so it it lasted about five seconds i see Um, and then what I didn't know, and I'm, like, proud of her for, is that she was nominated for the Best Original Screenplay Oscar in 2003, which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Kind um, surprising Michael,
0: not to be shady, but we'll get to that later.
1: Michael Constantine plays her father, and he is known for Thinner, The Hustler, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 1 and 2. And he started acting in... 1959 and he actually passed away in 2021 so sad. sad but i want to just give a little tribute to him in that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um laney kazan plays uh tula's maria. mother yeah maria and um for us we know her from the Bratz movie okay <laughs> i <love> that down <laughs> she plays bubby Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then she's also known for beaches and however you say that other thing, Gigi, <laughs> <Usually? laughs> whatever it is. Okay. It's definitely not giggly. Um, <laughs> it's
0: G I G L I. It's definitely if like you Italian. Know, let us know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Andrea Martin plays. Tula's aunt, she is known for Black Christmas, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and she has done a ton of TV spots, and she was Penny's mom in Hairspray Live in 2016. When you're saying TV spots, do you mean commercials? No, like um, like him. Cam- not it's not a cameo really, but TV spots meaning like, mmm. A one-off on a TV show. Of course, Joey Fatone is in this, which is hilarious and weird. Um, And he has barely anything on his IMDb, but Mm -hmm. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 1 and 2 on the line. And then soundtrack credit for Bring It On, which is funny. That's good. We've got John Corbett, who plays the love interest Ian, and he is most known for Sex in the City, Serendipity, and The Messengers. But to me and for our audience, I know that it's really Sex in the City that people know him from. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Ian Gomez plays Ian's friend, and he is known for The Drew Carey Show, Felicity, Norm, and
0: Richard Jewell. So, as we already discussed, a $5 million budget. Box office opening weekend this movie grossed $597,362 in 108 theaters distributed by IFC Films. But then worldwide gross this movie has made $368,744,044. To <laughs> the dollar, that much money um and it is the highest grossing romantic comedy ever. Question mark, yeah. question mark, question mark.
1: Yeah, because when you're comparing the budget to the mm. worldwide gross, mm-hmm. the um the, the difference there is incredible.
0: Yes. And it is. um
1: because of that, because they were able to make it for so little, it's the highest grossing rom com ever.
0: That makes sense. That in mind, let's get into these reviews.
1: The critics score is 76%. Pretty high, honestly. Very high mm-hmm. for a rom-com. And the critic consensus is, though it sometimes feels like a television sitcom, My Big Fat Greek Wedding is good-hearted, lovable, and delightfully eccentric with a sharp script and lead performance from Nia Vardalos. A few more just one-off critic opinions. Someone said, perfect sleepover movie for tweens and moms. Hey, perfect. (laughs) Um, Someone else said, this is the kind of romantic comedy you wish you saw more often. And the third person saw said Miss Vardalos has loaded her charmingly fluffy script with cute idiosyncrasies in place of actual characters.
0: (laughs) Dang.
1: So here's Roger Ebert's take. At this point, it's becoming routine. I have to look it up every time. Mm -hmm. So this this is what he says. Everyone in this movie looks like they could be a real person. The romance involves... Not impossibly attractive people, but a 30-year-old woman who looks okay when she pulls herself out of her frump phase and a vegetarian high school teacher who urgently needs the services of supercuts. <laughs> Five minutes into the film, I relaxed, knowing it was set in the real world and not in the Hollywood alternative universe where Julia Roberts can't get a date. The movie is warm-hearted in the way a movie can be when it knows it's people inside out.
0: High praise. Okay, so now moving into the audience score and opinions. This movie earned an audience score of 73%, which is weirdly close to the critic score and very rare for these movies. So that's interesting. And um, we have some audience takes here. The first one is, as a Greek person, this movie was only partially accurate and therefore irritates me. (laughs) Next we have... I'm not even Greek, and at times I felt like the overtone of the Greek stereotypes was a little heavy at times. However, Nia does a great job in her role and is one of the few believable performances. Not terrible. (laughs) And then... This movie is definitely a grower. I wasn't really sure the first time I watched it, but a couple more views helped me understand bits I had missed previously. It is totally charming and has scenarios that relate not just to Greek families, but to so many other families in the world. So
1: finally, since we just talked about 2002 celebrity gossip in the last episode, Mm -hmm. um, I thought I would just compile a list of movies released in 2002. And I cannot believe... (laughs) The amount of sleepover cinema that came out in 2002 <laughs> is actually wild, and I had no idea. So here's the list. Okay. A Walk to Remember, The Hot Chick, Spider-Man, Sweet Home Alabama, Made in Manhattan, Punch Drunk Love, Lilo and Stitch, Big Fat Liar, Spirit, Ice Age, the Wild Thornberries movie, Hey Arnold, the movie, Spy Kids 2, Air Bud, Get a Clue, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Treasure Planet, and finally, an entire plethora (laughs) of weird Disney sequels, Cinderella 2, Peter Pan 2, Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, Peter Pan, oh, I already said that, (laughs) Peter Pan 2, hold on, Peter Pan 2 Return to Neverland, Tarzan and Jane which
0: I hadn't even heard of I think I may have known about that Michael Eisner had too much power clearly in 2002 yeah clearly okay you mentioning spirit just unlocked a memory for me do you remember what it is (laughs) well we were in Boston right Yeah, so this was in our one year when we lived in Boston. We had this babysitter named Kate, and she took us to go see Spirit colon the Stallion of Cimarron in (laughs) theaters, and she, like, brought her boyfriend, and I remember it was, like, it ended up being, like, a lot of drama that we went and saw Spirit with our babysitter, but she also took us to the craft store and let us, like, buy a bunch of fun things to, like, like I remember I got like a wooden plaque and like a wedding cake topper and some fake roses and like glued them all to the shit. I was literally in first grade when this happened and I was living but mom was not living. Okay, so I remember kind of a lot about when I first watched this. Um but what do you remember?
1: All I remember is that um our grandma Irene had the movie on VHS. Yes. And we watched it there. Like I'm, I'm almost positive that's the only time I watched it. Um, yeah, pretty much. That was great because when we were at our grandma Irene's house, and like our parents had left to like go do whatever <laughs> they were gonna do, yeah. um, we could eat just like the best <laughs> snacks ever. <laughs> Yep, (laughs) And like, I just remember feeling like
0: I was going to explode from how many chips I was eating. (laughs) We would, I remember so clearly like mom and dad would leave and we would watch like, it kind of varied based off how old we were, but it was like that weird Barney live action movie, uh, Sleeping Beauty on VHS. That was Mm -hmm. like the main place where we watched Sleeping Beauty probably. And then like the Amanda show and like Nick at Night and stuff like that. Also, our grandpa was, like, really into NASCAR and stuff. And I remember eating, like, an insane amount of um, sweet chili Doritos and, like, listening to the sounds of NASCAR. There's a lot of, like, food memories over yeah. there. Yeah, Like, today I was in CVS and I saw this, like, really ye old container of... Uh, French onion dip, and I was like, That's taking me (laughs) back to grandma's house. Like, that's what it was like. Every uh, time
1: I see brisk, brisk iced tea,
0: oh my God. (laughs) That's okay. I had a couple other things. I'm just checking what I wrote. Um, so the things I remembered about the movie before rewatching it quickly were just, I remembered the Windex, obviously. That's like one of the most memorable things. I thought that they like made out in the church. That was something in my mind. I thought that it was potentially my first PG-13 movie because it kind of has that vibe, um, but it's not, it's rated PG. But I did always feel very grown up watching this movie for some reason. Yeah, Because it's not about
1: kids. It's not a kids
0: movie, really. Yeah. We could keep going, I feel. But let's take our break and come back and talk about our findings. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Thanks so much for checking it out.
1: Welcome back, everybody. That's my first time welking, welking. That's my first time welcoming everybody <laughs> back to the second half.
0: And it went off without a hitch. It went
1: so well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so now we're going to listen to my friend Artemis from college. Just mm-hmm. give us all a briefing on what's correct, what's not correct in representing the Greeks. <laughs> um, yes. And of course, there's a bit of a difference here because these are, I mean, the parents are definitely born in Greece from Greece, but, like, Tula is first generation, maybe? Yeah. So it's, like, a little different in that Artemis is from Greece and her family still lives there. So, like, culturally it's, like, a Mm -hmm. little different. But, yeah. So enjoy listening to her.
2: I love my big fat Greek wedding. um, And I used to watch it a lot growing up, most probably because I am Greek, so... It's funny and I resonate with it and stuff. I have in the past told friends of mine that are not Greek to watch the movie before coming to visit me in Greece so that they're not as overwhelmed when they're around, like, my family and my cousins and stuff. Because Greeks do tend to have a big family with lots of siblings and cousins, like... I have three siblings and we have so many cousins. I meet new cousins and aunts and uncles every year that I've never met before. That part of the movie um, is quite true. There are a lot of stuff that are over-exaggerated and misrepresented, like the plate smashing and how they say oppa every two seconds. Like, we, we don't do that. The last time I said oppa was probably like two years ago. Um, and it was when someone almost fell off a bow or something. And smashing a plate is... Um, yeah, we don't do that either. That only happens in like touristic restaurant in Mykonos where you dance on tables and you smash plates. Um, or if you go to this thing called bouzoukia where it's traditional Greek dancing and uh, singing and you throw flowers and you smash plates. But other than that... We don't really do that. Oh, or how, like, everyone's surname is from a fruit, like "portocalos." I don't think I, I know someone that has a surname after a fruit. In terms of a lot of people having the same name, like Michali or Adoni or Alexandro, like, especially guy names, like, they get used a lot in the family. Like in my family there's like six Michaels and like four Leos and stuff. Tula's dad is constantly saying how he's always like he's always asking the question, you know, give me any word, any any word in the world and I show you that it comes from Greece. The Greek language is like the vocabulary list is quite huge. It's one of the biggest if not the biggest and Greeks are very proud of that. A lot of words do come from the Greek language. So I find that funny because Greeks are very proud of that. But the whole thing with the windex, where he's like, vale windex, we don't do that. (laughs) I don't don't know why he was doing that, but it's funny. The thing with Tula's uh, grandmother, where she keeps trying to escape because she thinks that she's been kidnapped by Turks is really funny because of the very well-known dislike between the Turks and the Greeks. Yeah. So basically I love this movie. It's very funny, but as I get older, I guess, and the more I watch it, the more I understand how a lot of things are over-exaggerated and misrepresented.
0: My favorite part of what Artemis just said is when she said, I haven't said Opa in like two years. (laughs) Yeah. That is my favorite part. Yeah, because she's like... And then she said, she was like, I haven't said Opa in two years and it was probably like when someone was falling off a boat or (laughs) something. I was like, "That is the perfect sentence for like, you to say in this wow. moment." Wow! Yeah, <laughs> like I wish that was my life. Damn! Yeah, I like, don't
1: have a heritage. I, right? Exactly. It's it is kind of something to be admired. It's like something to be jealous of. Just
0: like having that. Le- yes, having cu- culture, like actual culture, having like a real cultural identity. Can you even imagine? No. <laughs> Like we I mean, are like the whitest, we are the plainest white people. American. Ever. Not even religious. Not just just plain. Just it's like v- if, vanilla. <laughs> just even vanilla is like too nuanced. It's like unflavored. It's like oyster cracker that needs more salt. <laughs> Unsalted oyster cracker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With water. That's it.
1: Meeting her family and like being around her um, during college, I always, or like hearing her speak Greek, I was always like, oh my God, (laughs) I want to have culture. (laughs) You're like,
0: what a slay. (laughs) But I can't. So what are your few good things then? Well, it's not that I have few good things. It's just that I have more critical things. Um, Okay. So I liked the Princess Diaries vibes in the beginning. I know it's just pre-makeover, but like enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoy it when people make things that are obviously autobiographical. Like it's like auteur auteur vibes a bit. Yes, yes. I'm obsessed with Vula, the aunt. Mm-hmm. She is an icon. I love what she looks like. I love how she acts. She kind of reminds me of um, our family friend, Gwen, a little bit, Uh huh. like similar vibes. The part in the beat, like near the beginning where her mom, Maria, like tr- basically tricks the dad into thinking that it's like a good idea for her to go to school. Mm -hmm. But like the way that you find out is just them cutting to her, like walking out of the college after having signed up. It was like the perfect example of like showing versus telling, hitting very well. I was like, yes, this is satisfying. Yeah. I was so grateful. I was so grateful when they were in the restaurant and she doesn't lie about dancing Zorba's being owned by her family. Because there was a second where I thought that that was going to be it. And I was like, if this whole movie is about her trying to hide the fact that she's Greek, I'm going to be annoyed. Yeah. I really, really loved the part where Nikki reveals the bridesmaid dress. Like she like whips around and is in this like ridiculous dress. I was like also living for her. Um, And I just love big happy families in movies They're very fun to watch. And why is it so sad when they hug at the end? At the wedding? When the dad and and Tula hug? I was like, (laughs) damn, this is sad. Like, the look on his face is so, like, genuinely emotional. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, wow.
1: Yeah, he really... He really did that.
0: (laughs) He bodied the role.
1: I kind of wrote this before I knew or remembered that Nia, this whole project is hers. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like they casted her for her particular look or whatever. It was because she started this whole thing. But I did Mm -hmm. appreciate that, like, she ended up playing the main role and she actually looks her age. Like, she looks 30 and she is 30. (laughs) Like... That's Mm -hmm. a good thing that you don't see that often. Um, Yeah. Especially when like nowadays, you know, teens are played by 25 year olds and 30 year olds are played by almost no one because there are almost no (laughs) 30 year old roles. Yeah. I thought there was really good character exposition in the beginning, like without hitting you over Mm -hmm. the head too much, Mm -hmm. like that entire setup of of Tula being at the register in the restaurant everybody's kind of walking all over her but like running around and Mm -hmm. she's like not being heard the aunt and the parents are over in the corner talking about how she hasn't married yet and then she walks out by like the dumpster and just sits there in like in silence for like a few seconds that That's really good. That's really good character exposition. We understand everything about her that we need to in like a super short amount of time. Yeah, my other thing was that Andrea Martin and Lainey Kazan
0: are gifts from God. (laughs) Literally perfection. (laughs) Like, perfection. Yeah. All of their scenes together were so fun to watch too, Mm -hmm. because they're just like scheming and fun. But I did just have one. There's one notable thing that I wrote, which is just, I am surprised, but very happy that this has not been made into a musical.
1: I'm sure that attempt has been made. (laughs) I'm sure the attempt has been made and I don't
0: want it. So I'm glad.
1: And honestly, you should be scared (laughs) that you even said that
0: out loud. You might accidentally (laughs) manifest it. I might. I might manifest it, which I don't want to have happen. In the beginning, everyone's like, she's ugly. She's frumpy, whatever. But when I was a kid, I did not remember her as being ugly, like at all. Like I was like, I didn't even remember that there was a makeover aspect of this movie when I started watching it. I was like, she didn't look the way I remembered, but... I just thought that was weird.
1: Wait, so what's, you, ma- what's your point there? Basically,
0: just the makeover seemed random to me. I was like, why does there need to be a makeover thing? Well, what was in this? weird to
1: me is that the makeover sequence, you know, it's not like somebody's giving her a makeover, it's her deciding that she wants to go to school and like slowly. Tr- like, like wearing contacts and like putting in, yeah. what do, like doing small things. It's like, like
0: that meme of the school of like the student morphing into the bimbo. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> it's so, it, it's strange. It's really confusing too, because she's talking about how she feels that she never fit in with the white girls with blonde hair as a child. Uh-huh. And like uh-huh. she wanted the um sandwich, like the like Wonder Bread sandwich, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So she does these things to like it's not even like changing herself. It's just like putting in contacts like it's not like yep. that serious. She looks essentially the same. They did do some weird things to her in the beginning to make her look worse. I feel like they like.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like they put like weird foundation on her and just like some yeah. strange things. But then when she's at the college, she like sits down with this group of white blonde girls at a lunch table and she has mm-hmm. a sandwich and I'm like is
0: this yeah. is this good for you? <laughs> like that's I was super confused by that too cuz they like never come back to that note. Yeah. I was like, this is just like a weird detail to have in there. It's like, wouldn't you expect at some point that she would maybe like share that anecdote with Ian and he would be like, you don't need to be like that or something. It's like, why didn't that come back? Like by the time she's 30,
1: you know, it's not like the only people, she lives in Chicago. It's not like the only people around are white girls with blonde hair. Like she could have found like a group, like... I understand she wants to distance herself. She wants to like feel like her own person aside from her family and culture. Um, yeah, but still, <laughs> at thirty years we old, have questions like at thirty, you just would think that that would be less important to somebody. Yeah,
0: but she's also like still living in her parents' house and stuff.
1: Yeah, she's like under underdeveloped,
0: like. As Why isn't that more of a topic? Also like did she not go to college at all? Has she literally just been working at dancing Zorbas for the past 12 years since high school?
1: I I think that's sort of the the inference the implied being made. situation. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not, but I kind of felt like they were doing some real Italian Greek crossover in this casting. Because like Joey Fatone is like such a, I feel like he, I don't even know if this is true, but he gives me Italian-American. No, his last name is Fatone. It's Fatone. Like Like, he's Italian. So like there, there is some just crosshairs. I don't know. Like I was getting, I was getting a little (laughs) confused. And I'm sure there's also just like cultural similarities between Italian-Americans and Greek-Americans. Like why not? I'm sure there are. Yeah. But um, just like seeing Joey Fatone, I'm like, he's not Greek. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't really get Ian. I feel like we know nothing about him. I was like, you're a teacher and you're hot. (sighs) But I feel like he is shallowly rendered in the same way that we always complain about women being shallowly rendered. And I was kind of just like, I have questions about you. I didn't get why, through, like, the first half of the movie, why Tula was, like, so weird about everything. Like, when she was dating Ian, like, telling him about her family. It's not like her family's a bunch of cannibals or, like, ultra-conservative religious people. I was just like, can you just, like, not? Like, I don't get it.
1: I think it makes sense because she's been so isolated for so long and she has built something in her head out of this situation that realistically should not be a big deal for for her to talk about, of course. But like mm-hmm. it's her it's her number one like obstacle in life. Like that she has yeah. built this up in her head to be a
0: problem. She's also kind of a doormat personality and her family is not like that. So I guess I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. And I mean the whole guess- thing is over exaggerated. A a bit. But, like, I think that... I think it lines up for her character to be, like, weird about her family.
0: Her character annoyed me in that way. Ian also kind of looks Greek and is white. I felt like the scene where she went over to Ian's parents' house for dinner, it it felt like a scene where, when you watch something, where it's, like, a non-white person going to their white couple or, like, their white partner's families for dinner, and they, like commit a bunch of microaggressions. The fact that they're both white just makes it a little weird to watch, which I have a feeling we'll probably get into in your stuff, but that was just really weird to me. And really my main qualm with the movie is that secretly the plot stops halfway through and it just becomes a montage of them getting ready for a wedding. But because it's so fun, it's like fine, but Mm -hmm. like, The plot basically stops. Yeah. Halfway through.
1: Yeah. Because nobody, once he's baptized, um, nobody's trying to stop it. Uh, No. It's just, it's just fine.
0: I hated this exchange. (laughs) Why do you love me? Because I came alive when I met you. But my family, let's just leave, blah, blah, blah. It was just so not grounded in reality and it was also in the hallway right outside of his classroom I was just like what the fuck is this scene I thought that was so weird and it's the stuff like that and the plot secretly stopping halfway through that makes me wonder how this did get nominated for best screenplay because it's not that good of a screenplay
1: I also wrote that school thing in my worst category. I just read it and yeah. I forgot what I was referring to. But, yeah, that's what I was mm-hmm. referring to. Um, I was like, yep. you look crazy right now. Like, why would you yeah. show up to his
0: place of work? <laughs> like, so weird. Like, I thought that that was <laughs> that's a red flag Ian. her showing up for something like that.
1: <laughs> I think the, po- you know, the, the look of her getting nominated for it and the identity politic st- The identity politics side of it could have definitely played a role. Also, the fact that it was that economically viable, the fact that it literally blew every other rom-com out of the water when Mm rom-coms were in their height of popularity is, like, huge. And compared to every other rom-com, this is the most tasteful thing, Um, like, the (laughs) most auteuristic, the most real, down-to-earth. Like, if Roger Ebert is singing its praises, um, Mm -hmm. you know that what it's being compared to is just so... It's so yeah. derivative. Well, there was like that one moment where, like, they had the one bridesmaid, like, who wasn't oh, yeah, super skinny, that. like, making eyes at the friend of Ian. Who's and, also not skinny. Right. And it was that, that whole, that trope of, like, just because they're two people who aren't rail thin, they, like, have to, like, be in love or whatever. Like, they, they are, like, a thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I wrote that down. I wrote down lol random fat phobia because it's like the fat bridesmaid looks at the fat friend who's a guy and the fat friend like looks away in like disgust borderline. And I was just like, didn't need to have it. Why the fuck did you throw
1: that in there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was just bl. It was like a, a throwaway, a complete throwaway. Yeah. Joke. White people in general, like I'm talking about like the non cold or like the like what we how we were describing ourselves Us. like yeah the non salted <laughs> oyster crackers of the world yeah and like this takes place in you know, like modern day those people are not discriminating against um
0: white european americans no no they're just not like and i kind of understand if like the family being so intense yeah. is the thing where they're like, they're whoa, just, like, we're just like, not used to this. But but that's not how the the actors that are playing Ian's parents don't play it as being overwhelmed. They play it as being disgusted.
1: Yeah, they play, right, exactly. They could have, if they had changed that negative emotion from disgusted to um, just like really out of their depth or like <laughs> yeah. something like that but I I feel like for the most part if somebody were to walk into that situation they would they might be shy but they wouldn't be like
0: mad to be there like I think it would be oh, fun totally like it it looks so fun yeah. like the whole way the, the Ian's parents act makes no sense and I also don't get why Ian never we never get a scene of Ian like addressing his parents being yeah. like why are you? acting like this like I would I feel like that would have been such a nice scene if like maybe they left up like that par, the party that uh Tula's parents had and it was like all four of them and he's like why did you guys act like that and he like defends her honor or something yeah
1: I, like, I'm that surprised would him, that didn't
0: happen mm, yeah I just don't get it um that really bothered me and it also just contributed to Ian having like no personality
1: mm-hmm I think yeah, somehow through watching this I like wasn't fully picking up on the Ian not having a personality thing, but I don't I don't know what I was like distracted by, but I definitely was distracted <laughs> by something to not I just wasn't like focused on him really. I was just like not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, because the movie's not actually about him and Tula, it's about Tula and her dad. Yeah. So it makes sense, but to me, I, like, thought that it was going to be way more about him yeah. and their relationship going into it, and then it just totally wasn't. And I was like, oh, this is weird.
1: I don't know. This comment might just be not relevant, but, like, it. this is a movie, like, for the heteronormative structure, <laughs> for sure. Because mm-hmm. she does—you yeah. kind of think she, she wants something untraditional. That doesn't—I'm not saying she, like— anything about her sexuality, but just in general, like she wants to travel. She wants to know who she is. Like how does she go from, from being like basically an underdeveloped 30 year old in her dad's Mm -hmm. house to being a like somehow fully like self-actualized, like Greek woman, (laughs) Greek American woman in the span of like, you know, seemingly like, A few months.
0: There's just, like, some missing fibers in this one, I think.
1: Yeah. Getting married that fast wouldn't, to me, that would not be a sign of her, like, being self-actualized or, like, growing up. It would actually be kind of the opposite.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I actually wrote down, seems really fast to get married, uh... Because it is. <laughs>
1: it, it just is. And but like, it's like, well, her family, that's what they want to see from her, which is kind of weird.
0: So she's still giving them what they want, sort
1: of. Yeah. I mean, she's still doing what she generally, I mean, the beginning, the opening quote is like, Greek women are supposed to do three things. Fall in love with a Greek man, marry him, have Greek children and feed everyone. So yeah. she's going to do two out of those three things.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I also just have to say that watching this movie really took me back to my um, Russian immigrant community era, which I don't know if I've ever talked about that on this show, but um, my college boyfriend was very, 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 very Russian, like extremely Russian, like uh, not even first generation, like lived in... Russian-occupied Ukraine, I think, or in Kiev until he was, like, seven and then moved to the U.S. And so I've been in a lot of, like, big Russian party situations where, like, everyone's speaking Russian and, like, eating Russian food and I'm, like, the white, unsalted oyster cracker there. And it's... Obviously, it's not the same, like, Greek, Russian, not the same thing, but it's still, like, white, uh, like, white immigrant groups. And um, it was really interesting. Like, I think that even though obviously it didn't work out relationship-wise, like, the cultural experience of being immersed in something like that, I also was in a Russian-Jewish wedding at one point, and that was a whole experience also. Um, I do think that it, like, very accurately renders that experience and also like even the way the house is decorated like with all like the kitschy like lacy kind of grandma-esque items like Mm -hmm. that reminded me a lot of my experience in all of these different like russian homes yeah it there's just a vibe i I don't know
1: yeah like one great there's a lot of good there as much as we're like picking it apart there's a lot of good elements Mm -hmm. in this movie for a rom com, especially, but like you can tell that there's just a lot of um authentic things pulled from her actual life
2: that yeah, and like are we love
1: accurate, that. yeah, and I do, yeah. and I love that she wrote this and it was able to star in it, like that's more than you could yeah. ask for
0: in that sense. It kind of reminds me of Bend It like Beckham, mm-hmm. like in the personal touch of it all, yeah. Um, it has a similar thing.
1: Is this movie good? I don't tend to really feel that passionately about Mm -hmm.
0: rom-coms
1: pretty much ever. But if I had to, like, if I had to rank all the rom-coms, it probably would be in
0: the top three. I agree. Because, like— But not for the rom— no, not for the rom. Not for the rom. I think they're good enough,
1: but it's not really about their relate. It's not really about the trials and the tribulations of their relationship.
0: No. It's a rom com, not a rom com. Yeah. Emphasis you know on calm.
1: Emphasis, Emphasis on the calm. Calm in two ways coming of age and comedy. Uh. <laughs> yes.
0: Very agree. It's a rom com com. Okay. Well, I enjoyed this movie.
1: Yeah. I was excited to rewatch it because my baby brain ha- did not know
0: what to make of it at all. Okay, people. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Oh, you can watch this movie on HBO Max. It's there, so if you want to go watch it, give it a little watch and Comment, uh, like
1: and subscribe.
0: Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. If you've made it this far,
1: oh yeah, you we, just haven't go do it. we haven't asked. We haven't asked. Well, forever. it's in our
0: credits every week, but oh. it's very canned. So here I am asking for it again. Oh yeah, buy our merch. No please. one will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's over it. Actually, I have a bunch of students that really want to buy it. And I'm like, hand over your $20. I think I told you this last time. Yeah. There's, They still haven't followed through. I'm like, hello. Get it together. Yeah. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's be done now. Bye. Bye. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of this show is Michael DeAloya.
1: You can find more from us at sleepover cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at TupingPictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at TupingPictures and would love
0: to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily...